We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recapping a fun wildcard weekend, looking ahead to some of the round two fantasy playoff contests, maybe some offseason talk, whatever we feel like. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter, bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we always talk on the show about sort of the things we're talking about before the episode as we get on, and we just want to touch base and chat, and a lot of times that spills over into our episode this week, a lot of that was around the FFPC contest we talked about last week, kind of how the first week went uh, in that. And then there's also the, the round two one that runs it back. For anyone who didn't listen last week or isn't aware, that contest is uh, a format where you can only play one player from each team. In the main contest that started last week, there's 12 lineup spots for the 14 playoff teams. And it's this big contest. Well, now we're down to eight teams. So the round two one is a little bit smaller. It's a little bit more condensed, or I should say probably a lot more condensed. There's no kicker in defense. You do have to play one one player from every team, no matter what. In the other contest, you had the 12 lineup spots, 14 teams. There were two teams that you were completely fading. And then the kicker and the D, we would call like the soft fade concept, where you're you're not playing a, a skill player or the quarterback, but you, you know, you're playing kicker D, you're still sort of kind of fading that team. In this contest, you have a quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, tight end, two flexes, no kicker, no D. For It fills the full eight teams. you got to play someone from every team. Uh, condenses things. Kind of a fun contest. So we're already kind of talking about that. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit uh, on the show today as well. But, I mean, wildcard weekend, let's start there. I mean, it was a fun weekend. We got points. I know the first five games all went over. I didn't check Monday night. That ended up being a little bit lower scoring, but did that go over as well? Oh, it was 45.5 with 45 points scored. It went under by a half a point. Apologies to anyone who had the over there. That two-point conversion Dallas tried with two minutes left prevented that from going over. I was not aware that there was such a close beat on the over-under there. But the first five games all went over their over-unders. We got points. We got a couple games that had, you know, 60-plus points. The Jacksonville comeback, San Francisco putting up 40, Buffalo, Miami, both teams, you know, get into the 30s. Cincinnati, Baltimore, a little bit lower scoring, but it had a really low total. It ended up being a little bit higher than, than the market expected. The Giants in Minnesota, plenty of points in that game. Fun weekend. 
fun weekend of points and um, fun for the playoff contest to have a lot of fantasy score scoring from key players. And then, you know, we had some stars not do so well in their team's exit, like the Austin Ecklers and the Justin Jeffersons. And you had, a, yeah, I think you had a good mix of like points and, you know, the right, depending on what you played, but like, you know, the right mix of some chalky players doing well, good players doing well, some interesting under own players doing well. And, uh, like the receivers on the Giants and Jags we talked about last week, Sean did very well. And then also, you know, you can you're gonna have some good players have down games as well. Fun fantasy week. We have not had a lot of fun fantasy weeks in the 2022 season, so I was excited about the first week of the playoffs. It was fantastic. I had mentioned in several forms that I think it was almost like these teams saved up the whole season worth of excitement for Wild Card Weekend. Obviously, Underdog has a fantastic contest as well. Colin Kelly and I. Talked a little bit more about that in our show over there at Rotoviz Overtime. And one of the things I loved about that is that as players are drafting these scenarios to different teams, it wasn't just one scenario that hit and then everybody else is out. Because of those scores that you mentioned, there were a lot of different paths through. There will be a lot of diversity in the teams that are left. I think that makes the contest better. And so from a playoff contest, it's fantastic. From a reality perspective, I mean, this is the kind of football that you want to watch. You had the Miami Dolphins go out there and attack, create big plays on defense, and also give up big plays. That's just a much more exciting brand of football than what we've witnessed the rest of the season. Now, I'm not saying it's the optimal way to play. Obviously, from a team perspective, just like there are things in basketball, there are things in baseball that diehards don't care for about the way those games have evolved. But if you want to win, you have to play the dominant strategies in those sports obviously you've got to do what you need to do in a football game to win as well but the dolphins made the gamble that attacking was their only chance in this game with a powerful buffalo bills team and they're responding with skylar thompson the funny thing about this is that thompson did not play well but he made some plays and if jalen waddle and tyreek hill don't drop pass after pass after pass you probably get the upset here and Jalen Waddle, he's been one of our guys. We had extreme exposure to him in regular season contests. Ben, you actually did play him in a couple of the playoff contests. Very few players can get open like Jalen Waddle. He's got that elite speed. Obviously, the route running is there. He had the rapport with Tua. That combination of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle this season was one of the best one-two punches at wide receiver in NFL history. The problem that has crept in for him and that we had mentioned at different points throughout the season is that his ability on contested catches still lacking a little bit this game he took that a step farther and just simply dropped balls that you have to catch if your team is wanting to spring the upset but i think that you have to give the dolphins a ton of credit for what they did it's interesting here because the bills and the Bengals have been in many ways the two most sort of exciting slash controversial teams in the NFL. When you have Josh Allen, you have Joe Burrow and the Bengals having gone to the Super Bowl last year, getting so close, coming back this year, and now they match up in that 2-3 game where obviously the Chiefs are very glad to be on the opposite side. But wildcard weekend did raise some concerns for both teams. Josh Allen played not poorly exactly because he made throws that, again, you only see from Josh Allen. And maybe if it's a different quarterback, you flat out lose this game. But he made a ton of mistakes. The kinds of mistakes that you don't typically see from star quarterbacks and the kinds of mistakes you don't typically see when a team makes a run to a Super Bowl title. 
it did in some ways emphasize some of the divides that are still there between him and certainly Patrick Mahomes, maybe even between him and Joe Burrow. But now they get this Bengals squad that doesn't have their left tackle. The Bengals had evolved through the season to where you and I did a show talking about how they had made all these acquisitions to improve their offensive line and it was still a train wreck and then basically from that moment on the offensive line played wonderful football and now over these most recent weeks they've lost 60 percent of their starters they're not going to have their left tackle it just it really makes you think of the super bowl a couple years ago with the chiefs and the bucks and how patrick mahomes almost had no chance so on the one hand when I mean, you're thinking I mean, the Bengals have arrived they're here perhaps they've eclipsed the bills and the chiefs as the power team in the afc but now they have this hurdle that in many ways just seems almost insurmountable when you're going to have to beat the Bills and the Chiefs back-to-back. Yeah, the line issues for them. I mean, there's so many things you just said that I think are really interesting. One of the things I want to jump into that you hit on is Josh Allen out playing as well. Obviously, that is a little bit different than last season. And again, we sort of a multi-year check-in, I think I'm going to keep bringing up this point until the Bills, or if and until the Bills, get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. Last year, we felt like was kind of their year. We talked about it on Stealing Bananas. They had that incredible game with the Chiefs. Allen played a, a perfect football game down the stretch, and Mahomes just matched him, and, and they've now changed the rules so that, you know, that over time, both teams will get a possess if there's a touchdown, basically as a direct response to that game. Allen played a perfect game against the Patriots in the first round of that playoff last year. Two just, like, basically perfect games. I mean, I think they... He threw five touchdowns. They absolutely destroyed the Patriots in round one last year. And so it was a little bit different to see him, you know, have a couple of little struggles in this one, as opposed to how he came into the playoffs last year, looking like just he was going to be able to take on the world on his own, um, just elevate his own play because he wanted to, because it's the playoffs. It's not that easy though. And one of the things we talked about with the bills last year, it felt like their year in part because Allen was at that level you can't just be at that level every single season. You can't just and in every single playoff game and against every single defense that you're going to face and every single matchup. They did get lucky to win this game. I mean, fortunate for the Bills, and they might then be at that level going forward, and that would be you know exciting to see if if it does happen for Bills fans, particularly obviously not for Bengals fans, but it would be exciting, particularly you know feel like we're headed towards this potential neutral showdown, neutral site showdown of the Bills and Chiefs. Again, don't want to write off the Bengals. Same thing could be said about the Bengals. Baltimore is a team that really uh, challenges them. I expected them to look better. I said the other thing I wanted to say was, as you were talking through all that, Sean, is I sat here last week and said, I can't see any way that these good teams lose. And obviously I look pretty dumb when you watch the games over the weekend because the Bills and the Bengals both very well could have lost right away. Uh, one of the things we did say is like, you know, one-off upsets can happen. But as a whole, I expected the five best teams to look great. Only three of them played this week. They did all win, but two of them didn't look great, right? The, the 49ers did. Brock Purdy looked, I mean, honestly, not as good as his stat line. Missed some throws. A lot of open guys in that game. I mean, the Niners are firing all cylinders from a coach perspective, from a skill position perspective. Debo gets involved in this one in a big way. Obviously, Kittle had the big run down the stretch. Not as involved here. They get Ayuk, you know, in – in and out and less and in, less involved, I guess, but McCaffrey scores, uh, Elijah Moore, um, excuse me, Elijah Mitchell scores. You have I mean, just so many skill position weapons and a coach that schemes them open. They have a really impressive win. Do feel great about them going forward. Although they're going to have a tough matchup this coming week with Dallas who looked good as well. So I don't know. I mean, I, I 
talked about it last week. I thought all the, the top teams were going to win. It felt like a year where the favorites were going to hold at the same time, acknowledging that we felt that way in other seasons and sometimes upsets do happen. We did see uh, enough this weekend to be reminded that playoff football is a little bit different. And sometimes teams have these high variance game plans. You talked about the way that the, the ways that the Dolphins approached it. Um, the last thing of everything you said that I, I want to kind of drill in on a little bit before we just spend the whole time on the playoffs is Jalen Waddle because I watched that game, Sean. Drops don't matter. We know that. They're usually uh, an indication of volume. And Jamar Chase, for example, has, I saw a tweet recently has had you know really high drops numbers both of his first two years. That was a concern in the preseason going into his rookie year that caused his ADP to actually fall erroneously that year. He ends up obviously having two fantastic seasons. One of the things with drops is it's an indication of, look, you're getting a lot of targets. You're wide open. People have talked about that for many seasons now. I'm starting to get a little concerned with Waddle, though, and I, so I kind of want to talk through uh, your thoughts on him sort of long-term and looking ahead to next season and all of those things. I think he's incredible. Obviously earns volume at an incredibly high rate through his first couple of seasons. Has shown a ton of ability to be productive on the targets he does earn in a good offense, smartly schemed, centers on basically him and Tyreek and, and and very concentrated on those two guys. But we, man, we spent a lot of time this year talking about him not being very competitive at the catch point, not just with drops, but contested plays. So many passes that Waddle could have brought in. And so I've, I was of two minds of it this weekend. Everything I just said about drops not mattering, part of me was like, maybe it makes me want to be in on Waddle even more because he has all the talent that is there and you just got to, imagine him being a little bit better at the catch point and he could have had an even bigger season. And there's so much more there's meat on the bone for him on top of what was already a great year. The other side of it is like, I mean, does this start to plague him in, in some way over time? I mean, can it become a Deontay Johnson type thing where it's like, is this guy just not a good receiver of the football? Cause man, I mean, frustrating season for him throughout the year. It, prop, it popped up several times three four five different time you know games where he had multiple plays that he could have caught this was the the biggest one you're talking about in a playoff game they could have won multiple well-thrown balls down the field a couple where he feels like he's almost mistiming his jump not looking natural enough as a receiver at the catch point in a huge game again i don't think th those couple drops are going to define jalen waddle's career but it did Give me pause where traditionally I'm like, ah, I can write that off and be like, that is a, a, a big play that didn't get into the stat sheet that people that are just going to go look at his box score in June are going to say, oh, Jalen Waddle wasn't very good this year and not realize that he was so close to having some big plays. Typically, that's the way my mind works. It's like, hey, that's something I want to keep a, a note on that he had a lot of meat left on the bone. He could have been even better. But in this case, I'm like, man, we just saw too much of it throughout the year from him where I'm. I'm of two minds about it, like I said. What are, what are your thoughts on Waddle? I think it kind of points in different directions, whether you're looking at it from a reality perspective or a fantasy perspective. Because, I mean, there's no scenario in which someone who was drafted that early and has been that productive through two seasons and offers that kind of game-breaking speed, there's no scenario in which he gets marginalized within this Dolphins team or on some future team down the line we've seen the superstars traded uh this past offseason in a, in a flurry right he could be on a different team at some point in the future there's no scenario where waddle doesn't end up with elite volume 
both because of his track record and because of how easily he gets open. It sounds like Tua will be the quarterback next year. I mean, there's still a lot of that process to go through, but it does sound like his health is in a point where having the offseason to recover the brain situation overall should be okay. And the, the first note there, again, just like with all the stuff with DeMar Hamlin, his actual health comes first. And it's the big note where if he's okay to play next season, that's actually a very positive note for him and his life going forward. So that part, fantastic. There's no scenario where Waddle isn't the guy or isn't a huge part of this offense. And you mentioned the meat left on the bone. He's going to catch some of those passes in the future. The other thing that happened this year is that he played through a wide variety of nagging injuries. And that may be something that kind of plagues him throughout his career. He wasn't super healthy at Alabama either. But he also could have some seasons where he actually does go through relatively unscathed. And you add another couple touchdowns. You add a couple hundred more yards. I mean, you're looking at Waddle as someone who could be a future overall wide receiver one, like the wide receiver one in all of fantasy. So from that perspective, you know, if you can get any kind of discount, you want to take it. That's, I mean, that's what I wanted to hear too, because I agree with everything you said about there's no scenario in which he kind of loses the volume and everything. When I was bringing up the kind of a Deontay Johnson corollary, obviously very different players. My thought was, does he have a career where he's good, but never great, never has the elite upside. We keep taking him in the third, fourth, fifth round, and we never get this game breaking season out of him. Uh, league winning, you know, wide receiver season. And, and we're often left wondering if we preferred other receivers in those ranges throughout his career. Having said that, that's not what happened this year. Taking him in the third or the fourth round, I think for almost anyone who took him was, I mean, he was like one of the biggest hits in those ranges. Like you were already in this season where he left meat on the bone, very content having taken him. It was other guys. It was Deontay Johnson. It was Gabe Davis, it was, you know, some of those guys who were the ones that you're like, ah, I wish I would have taken Waddle on this team in that spot. When I go back and I look at it, uh, you know, my drafts, I'm like, man, I wish I had more Waddle. So hearing you say that overall wide receiver one ceiling, that's, I guess, how I would quantify the concern is, does he have the skills to be that good? I'm glad to hear you say that, because I think he does. I think you're right. And that happened this season, even with the problems that Miami had at quarterback. You look at like the halfway point of the year, he's right there at the edge of the top five and then he does have some more injury issues going forward and obviously they have more quarterback issues going forward as well the other thing there is just if your quarterback stays healthy I mean, you can put up this potential massive season i am concerned a little bit for the dolphins in a reality perspective in the future as they battle in this division where i think the patriots are going to take the next step next year i think the jets if they don't like make the mind-boggling decision to hire Nathaniel Hackett, I think the Jets are going to take the next step next year. The Bills are going to be one of the top three teams in football for the next decade unless Josh Allen gets hurt. And so the Dolphins have a pretty difficult road ahead of them. Maybe no team in the NFL other than the Patriots and the Jets kind of with them all in the same dynamic. Maybe no team has a rougher path. So your margins are going to be somewhat thin. And Unless Waddle can improve at the catch point, you're going to have games that they lose that they needed to win or they could have won because you can't go away from him. And yet on a big third down, if he doesn't make the play, if you have a 40-yard gain and he doesn't make the play, and he drops the first pass, he doesn't elevate above the defensive back and give himself the best chance to make the second catch down the sideline. Then he has 
a beautiful route across the middle where Skylar Thompson throws it high. And then I watch these games fairly quickly. Even I watch the playoff games a little bit more at regular tempo, but still fast to where I'm fast forwarding. And I'm just guessing lots of people's DVRs work in a similar way. You kind of jump forward. And so I get a lot of like foreshadowing on the plays that I'm watching. Not even really foreshadowing. You just kind of see half the play. And so as I'm fast forwarding through this game, the point where the fast forward pauses before it jumps back, I see this pass going down the middle. I see Jalen Waddle wide open. I see him elevating. And I told the people watching with me, and again, you're just kind of frustrated as a fan at that point. Like if that's Waddle, he's going he's gonna to not make that play. And then you watch the actual play and he does a much better job than I expected because I mean, he really gets up. You could tell how much he wanted to make it after he misses those two early plays. He does elevate this time. He gets both hands on the ball. He comes down. And he's going to fight through traffic, but they still force it away from him. Yeah. He's going to make some of those plays, but for the dolphins to come through the path that they have, he's got to take that next step. And again, a, a little bit of this, well, we kind of knew, right? I mean, there's a reason that Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith put up just night and day different numbers than Waddle when these guys are in college together. Again, a little bit of that's going to be down to some injuries that Waddle had at Alabama as well. But when you think where he is, too, it also gives you more excitement for Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy as they've finished out the season in a very strong way. This trio of receivers, now that we're a couple years down the line, you can pretty conclusively say yeah all these guys are good it wasn't a thing where they were creating i mean they obviously were creating room for each other to work it was one of the reasons why alabama had one of the great runs in college football history while they were there but they're all elite nfl receivers i just want waddle to make the plays and i want a tyree kill to make the plays as well now you know that tyree kill has had huge games in the postseason one of the reasons they were able to get through the bills and yet in the super bowl and then last year in the loss to the Bengals. In both of those, he fails to make key catches. He drops the ball in this game that you only get so many possessions and Skylar Thompson is only going to make so many good passes. You can't afford to give those away. I think that Hill and Waddle are going to come back next season and we're going to see an even better version of this offense. Then the weirdest storyline or the weirdest rumor that we heard maybe in the last decade is that Mike McDaniel could be fired after what he did this season. The Dolphins are going to come out and be an incredible offense in 2023. Yes, defenses made some adjustments to what they were doing. They took away some of these middle passes that they were feasting on in the first half. They'll make adjustments. You can't have that kind of coaching, that kind of weaponry at wide receiver and a quarterback who reads the defense and pulls the trigger so quickly and with so much accuracy and not have one of the NFL's most fun offenses. Yeah, that McDaniel rumor was really absurd. We talked about it during the season, but they win the first three games of the year, including beating the Bills they and the Ravens, who are another playoff team. They lose three in a row after that. And in all three games, they lose their starting quarterback. I mean, the first one was to his first concussion. The next one they lose. I, I, it must have been Bridgewater in the second game right away, and Thompson gets thrust into the majority of that game. And then in week six, I believe it was Thompson starting and he got hurt and then Bridgewater took over. I know it was all three games, the the quarterback they game planned for and, and we're, we're putting out there to start left in the first half. And I mean, that is a difficult thing to overcome. They lose all three of those, two of those on the road, come back and win five straight. And we're at eight and three at the point where they went at the 49ers. And you mentioned the 49ers had a good game plan for them. Eventually teams are going to 
figure out to a certain degree when you're having that much success. I mean, again, in non-quarterback injured games, they were 8-0 at that point. They were 8-3 overall. The Niners are a good team. Niners have a good game plan against them. They lose by 16. Then they go to Los Angeles, play the, at the Chargers. They lose by six in a game where the Chargers also did an incredible, incredible job. That game, not as close as the six-point spread. That was the game where Tyreek Hill had the fumble recovery for like 60 yards. Um, that was like their biggest offensive play. But again, you, you're facing Brandon Staley, a good defensive coordinator, two weeks in a row against teams that, that can do things to stifle good offenses. I mean, the Chargers have done things to stifle Patrick Mahomes over the last couple of years. The 49ers, obviously, the, probably the most talented defense in the entire NFL. Then they go at the Bills. They lose by three, and they're really competitive again. They lose to the Packers. They lose to the Patriots down the stretch. Yeah, they lost five in a row, and people were saying, oh, because they lost five in a row, they're going to fire Mike McDaniel. But none of those are I – mean, four of those were on the road. None of those are against walkover teams that they you know that they lost. Four of them were by – four of the five losses were by six points or fewer by one score. I mean, it was just really pretty silly. And, yes, again, defense has sort of started to figure him out, so to speak. Then he goes into Buffalo with Skylar Thompson, Mike McDaniel, and plays a very competitive game in a game that, again, I mean, they maybe should have won. They they left points on the board. Thompson winds up going 18 for 45. Right, doesn't look like a great line. 220 yards on 45 attempts is a really low yards per attempt. One touchdown, two picks, takes four sacks. As you just said, he's not. You, you're only going to get so many good throws out of Skylar Thompson. We're not saying that he played perfect. He didn't. At the same time. The reason, part of the reason, he looks like eighteen for forty-five, such a sub fifty percent, you know, completion percentage is all these drops. I mean, he played well enough to have a below-average line as opposed to a terrible line, and that's, I mean, that's what you were hoping for out of Skylar Thompson. You got to have the players, the Tyree Kills and the Jalen Waddles, make the plays for you to be able to win. He does not get that help, so that he can at least look like a fifty percent completion percentage passer with instead of a you know, sub five yards per attempt, maybe a six yards per attempt, still not great, but it would have been better. Uh, on the flip side of that, I want to talk about that Chargers-Jaguars game because that was really fascinating. Chargers obviously get out to a 27-0 lead. This is a game where Trevor Lawrence did not play well early. Did I mean, I don't think you can really blame his supporting cast for not being there. But this is a sporting cast that I, coming into the year, thought was not very good and has obviously played very well throughout the year. This is a good example, I think, of a situation where his teammates actually helped in some ways, as opposed to the Skylar Thompson thing, where you know he ends up throwing four picks in the first half, definitely a couple of them on him, just bad, bad decisions. Coming back in the second half, they come all the way back, they win the game. Evan Ingram continues to look really good. Christian Kirk makes some plays. Zay Jones makes some plays. They're going to get Calvin Ridley back next year. I mean, they're obviously or you know, they traded for him midseason, and, and he'll come back, but he'll be on the Jaguars next year. They're obviously still in the playoffs. They end up coming all the way back and winning this. We might see them, you know, continue this run and beat the Chiefs. But this looks like a really fun team, frankly, just going forward. Um, and then on the Chargers side, I mean. One of the things I want to say about the Chargers side is we talk a lot about being pass first, throwing on early downs, how uh, helpful that can be. First down pass rate. That was a big part of the Giants win. Uh, we saw Brian Dable call a lot of first down pass attempts and for the, the Giants to be really aggressive on the road in Minnesota, and that was huge for them. What we saw with the Chargers was a team that got ahead 27-0 at a certain point 
especially, you know, in a playoff game like this, I will buy that you, this is why you want to run game. You want to throw for the lead and you need to then be able to have sustainable runs that run clock and drives that take up time. Big reason the Chargers lost this game is not just because the Jaguars played well or their offense stalled out. It's also because they had, you know, drives late in the second half after their, their final field goal drive of the second half, they scored three more points the rest of the way from this, but they had a drive of 122. Then their next drive ended the half to start the second half, a drive of two minutes and 32 seconds, then uh, a drive of two minutes and 13 seconds, which led to a field goal. They did have one drive of six minutes, 57 seconds later in the third, and then a two minute, 15, 16 second drive with a punt time of possession is sort of a myth, all these things. But like, if you can sustain drives, running the ball, running clock, you don't lose this game. Right. I mean, on the Jaguar side, props to them during all of those short drives in between when the Jaguars had their own drives, they went touchdown, 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 field goal. They closed the game with five consecutive scoring drives, all of 47 yards or more. Four of them were 60 yards or more. They they came alive on offense. Trevor Lawrence uh, played really well the rest of the way, also got a lot of help when he made good throws. His, his players made plays. This was an interesting game on both sides, I, I think. But yeah, I mean... To me, a big big element here was the Chargers' inability to, to do anything running the ball and sustain some drives that kept the clock moving. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I feel for some of these teams that get way ahead because it does put you in an awkward position of how you change a game plan that in many ways is working. Now, from an offensive perspective, you could argue that their game plan was never working, that this point total comes from the dominance of their defense. You get five turnovers, five turnovers, and you only put up 27 points. That part of it, too, a concern offensively. And what you see here is the offensive coordinator gets fired. We played Keenan Allen on a couple of teams and were disappointed. His target numbers were up where we needed them to be, but he's open in the end zone on two different drives. The first one gets batted. The second one in an attempt to not get it batted, Justin Herbert overthrows it. 
by a, a wide, wide margin. And that was a huge play ultimately in the game. I mean, they settled for a field goal there. That would have been that would have pushed their lead even bigger. In both of those situations, you're thinking, well, maybe it doesn't matter that much because the Jaguars made all of these mistakes, but it ends up being the key. As you pointed out, Justin Herbert has to play better. The Jaguars are a little bit of an underrated defense, and that gets covered up by all of those offensive miscues in the first half, but then they come roaring back. And one of the things that I think is interesting about football games is that while the defenses have adjusted and kept everything in front of them and created these long drives where teams have to be successful again and again and again, there are going to be times within the course of a game, or like we saw with the Dolphins in a game in general, where you want to create higher variance, but when the, within the course of the game where it doesn't really matter what your game plan was coming in, you now are in a situation where you have to create short possessions, even if that means you end up getting lit up. But you have to get the ball back and you cannot let the clock be burned when you're trailing by that much. The Jaguars put themselves in a position to do that. The Chargers completely unable to run the ball with any of their backs in this game. One of the things that they struggled with this season, and perhaps we're going to have with Joshua Kelly before he has injury trouble, maybe he was going to be the back. Some of his peripherals were good in that small sample. Obviously, there are questions about his overall talent level, which maybe undercut some of the things that he did. But people can improve. And so... when we had some mild enthusiasm for what he was doing. Isaiah Spiller was a disappointment. They really needed that pick to pay off a little bit more to give them that Eckler compliment. So Eckler can do the things that he does well, and another back can come in and give you a little bit. In any situation, you're not really wanting to hammer the ball. You're going to have to make plays in the passing game that the Chargers right now are not making, but it would have been great to have that running compliment. The big part, though, is that Justin Herbert has to be better. He took a huge step back this season. But I do think that firing Joe Lombardi was the right call. You can't have a quarterback with Herbert's talent and throw underneath relentlessly. Herbert, one of the lowest average depth of targets in the entire NFL, despite having a howitzer that's incredibly accurate down the field. All you have to do is think back to the remarkable game last year against the Raiders, and you can... You have all of these images of Herbert challenging Mahomes and Allen as the QB in the NFL. You weren't going to get there with Lombardi. I wrote an article when they hired him questioning that and saying this could be a huge debacle for the Chargers. And then Herbert obviously plays so well that it looked really, really silly. <laughs> I wouldn't say that him getting fired here vindicates my take at the time. And definitely we're not rooting for anybody to ever get fired. But my concern with him coming in as their coordinator is that he had been the worst coordinator for Matthew Stafford in his career. It is one of the questions I have when teams are interviewing Jim Caldwell to take over their position. I think that Caldwell is an above average head coach. The problem is that above average isn't that strongly rewarded in the NFL. If you're talking about winning Super Bowls. if you want to be in the position that the Titans are in where you're above average, but your GM gets fired, then you might look at that. Caldwell with Matthew Stafford wanted to fix him. Whereas you think about the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay, and he's saying Matthew Stafford is the final piece. If we have him, we win the Super Bowl, and they do. Now, some of that is everything coming together perfectly. You have this confluence of events and factors that launches the Rams to that point. It is a very big plus for Sean McVay. It doesn't necessarily mean that Matthew Stafford is a Pro Bowl level quarterback. It doesn't necessarily mean that some of his problems with the Lions 
weren't on him as opposed to on his coaches. But there was a track record here of failure that I was concerned would carry over to this Chargers team. It didn't initially, but they they weren't able to evolve. They weren't one of the teams like the Bills and the Chiefs that took what defenses were doing to them and figured out a solution. Part of that, you don't have Keenan Allen. Part of that, you don't have Mike Williams. It's going to be very different. I mean, Lombardi, like some of the other coordinators who have been fired, who in their situations had horrible quarterback play. I mean, he's going to look at that and say, if we'd had our players, then we would have been fine. If anything, I got a lot out of Gerald Everett. I got a lot out of Josh Palmer. You know, maybe I should get credit for that. But when you have Herbert, when you have Austin Eckler, I mean, some of the the depth of target stuff is just simply going to be that you have to throw a lot of passes to Eckler, which are going to be underneath. But the Chargers have to be able to attack down the field in a 2023. I think they will. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And 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 really the way this team is built, I'm not necessarily arguing that they called too many passes in the second half. I think I saw a lot of people mention they only ran X amount of times. I mean, their two running backs got 20 carries in this game and went for 55 yards. I mean, that like you I'm not saying they should have just been pounding the, the rock all second half at, at a 2.5 yard clip or whatever that is. I, I do still think you have to have there's situational stuff. Their first drive of the second half, they Tried to run on the first play. They lose four yards. They start throwing. They start gaining some first downs. But they got to Jacksonville's 38, threw three straight incomplete passes, and then punted 27 yards down to the 11-yard line. You get to the plus 38. I mean, that's a situation where you, I think you do have to run the ball. You're thinking, okay, yeah, we threw down the field. This is what's working. We do need to throw a little bit. That's a spot where, like, okay, if you run effectively, you're not in fourth and 10. You don't want to be punting from the plus 38 in any situation. So, I mean, I'm – hugely against running on any second and 10. That's a second and 10 where I would have been fine running. Not fine, but like it would have been the most acceptable second and 10 I can imagine because you might, if you gain five yards, it's it doesn't really change your odds of converting on third down. It does change whether or not you could potentially try a field goal in that spot. Part of the reason they lost this game is, is Dicker misses a short field goal late, but you can look through their game log a little bit and see the spots. They didn't have the confidence in their ability to run, which is something that, that we talked about. But I think you're right. I mean, being able to go downfield is another huge element of it. I do think part of why they went so shallow in the second half, you know, they didn't have confidence in their ability to run, but they did want to keep the clock running. So they're trying to throw underneath. They're trying to get easy completions as like an extension of the run game. But I mean, a lot of incompletions for them. Their first two drives in the second half, three incompletions in the first one, three incompletions in the second one. You're stopping the clock, you know, a decent amount. Next drive was their longer one, but several incompletions on that drive. You can't have that many clock stoppages when you're up by you know four scores, three scores, two scores, and it's, it's starting to whittle away. You got to be able to uh, sustain some things, in my opinion. And you can't go away from your stars just because you're ahead. I mean, you talk about the clock stoppages. Austin Eckler has four targets in this game. You, you can't have Austin Eckler with four targets in a loss. You don't know the loss is coming when you have that big lead, but that's a way to keep the clock going and still have a higher expected value for that particular play. It also is going to eliminate some of the things you're dealing with in terms of batted balls. I thought one of the cool notes from the advanced stat explorer last week that I put in the article, I think we mentioned on the show was that the Jaguars are top 10 in batted balls. You know, it's not that that's going to be some huge element of the game, but it did come into play here, both with that Allen non-touchdown and just throughout the game. Herbert does not look comfortable being able to execute some of these short passes 
where the defensive linemen are getting their hands up, you got to go through your star. And one of the weird things here, but like a, almost a disconnect between the offense and the defense is they're trying to hold this lead. I mean, we, we've talked about the Chargers a ton, but it felt like after they built their big lead, they sat back even more than ever, which is a, a staple of Brandon Staley's team, but it didn't really get beat deep a lot other than, you know, Zay Jones ultimately has a 39-yard touchdown. But their other drives they gave up points to the Jaguars were nickel and diming underneath stuff. Lawrence had to go underneath the deep zone, right? They're playing a two deep shell. They're they're forcing Lawrence underneath. The the Jaguars' first big drive in the second half is ultimately, you know, like seven minutes. Like they had the long drive. It's a 14 play drive, I think it was, to cut it to 27-14. It was 27-7 at the half. They were able to get a quick drive in a two-minute drill right before half to cut it to 27-7, which was a huge part of the game. But again, I mean, I just said that the Jaguars scored every single drive from that point forward, in part because the the Chargers immediately were like, look, we're ahead. We're going to make you go 14 plays to score. Uh, You know, they do end up giving up the long one long TD to Zay. But for the most part, forcing the Jaguars to nickel and dime and be efficient. And if you're doing that defensively to, to hold a lead and you're okay giving up points as long as it takes time, then offensively you also need to take time. I mean, you're, you're sort of just trying to cling to a lead in some ways. Either that or continue to play really aggressive de- defensively. One of the big things that happened with Lawrence in the first half and they were highlighting it on the broadcast was the Chargers were doing a really good job of disguising different coverages and he wasn't – they were showing man with like a, a, a guy following a motion – player you know pre-snap it looks like a man look and they're dropping into a zone and he thinks he has a crosser wide open but there's a there's a cornerback in cover two on the other side of the field it you know that that tell pre-snap with the cornerback tra- uh, following across the field the motion player that it's man coverage proved to be a disguise in the coverage it was actually a zone and it was tricking Lawrence some of that stuff and it seemed like in the second half they weren't doing as much of that. Maybe they were. I don't really know. But it seemed like they're just kind of sitting back in a vanilla thing and saying, yeah, we'll give you underneath stuff as long as it takes time because we have such a big lead. But, like, there's a disconnect between that and then the way they operated on offense and not – you don't have a whole team that is built to play defense that way because you don't have the offense that can sustain drives reliably, run the ball reliably. You're not the Titans. You can't just go, oh, we're going to give Derrick Henry 20 carries in the second half. You're not the 49ers. You're not – I mean – we have so many ways to keep the clock moving and have short, you know, runs, but also maybe short passes that are very high percentage. That's not how the Chargers play. And and anyway, I mean, it was it was too easy to allow the Jaguars back into this game. It was one of the big, you know, disappointments I think for, for certainly for Chargers fans and uh, of of opening weekend. It was exciting for the Jaguars, but. You can't just sit back and play this bend, don't break, and and end up giving up these touchdown drives, and then also not do anything offensively for a whole second half and and blow a twenty. I mean, that's how you blow a twenty-seven point lead. It's a game of possessions. You're not really trying to score, but you're also not running clock in your possessions, and you're giving Jacksonville enough possessions and allowing them to be efficient on their possessions in a way that they weren't in their first six, seven, eight possessions of the game, to where they're able to score five straight and have enough possessions to get it done because you're not milking clock when you're on offense. The whole thing, I mean, sort of like textbook, how do you want to lose this game? I mean, if you're trying to to, to blow that type of a lead, really, really poor on their on their part, frankly. I mean, I think they, in, in a lot of ways, the Chargers lost this game more than the Jaguars won it. And you're getting calls for Brandon Staley to be fired as opposed to, you know, Joe Lombardi being the scapegoat. I can see that. And yet 
I would just hope for him that the lesson that he takes is let's build a dominant Super Bowl caliber team and have that be our mentality throughout these games. Because one of the things you're talking about is that in the first half, they looked like the best team in football because the Jaguars are a good team. They're a team that, I mean, I love my Chiefs and it would be heartbreaking if it happened. I think the Jags can go to Kansas City and win. It's not likely, but I think that they can. And for them to have been that dominant, you think about what the Chargers have done through the Chiefs through the last several seasons. They don't have a lot of wins, but they are right there with them. If you ask Kansas City, like, how much of a margin do you have over the Chargers? They, if they're being honest, they're going to say it's very little. In the, those games, the Chargers have to come out and play like a Super Bowl team. You just want that to be your mentality all the way through. And I think that with some of the in-game decisions, when you get away from being what you talked about there, this dominant team that's doing the things they're doing on defense, doing the things they can do on offense, anytime that you flip that switch and you no longer are doing those things, then you're not the same team and, and anything can happen. You also see Bosa make some questionable plays, letting his motions, emotions get away from him. It's also something where I don't think you can just blame it. And not I me, mean, you obviously weren't doing this, but it's easy to look at that missed field goal and say, if he makes that, they're fine. But they also committed flagrant penalty on the two-point conversion to where if that two-point conversion from the Jags happens, you're still back in the same basic scenario. So this game could have played in ways where even if he makes that field goal and the officials call the game correctly, then you're in that same basic situation as you head down the stretch. You can't let it be that close. You have to keep playing like one of the best teams in football, which is what I think they are. And it's one of the reasons why people did want to play them in these playoff contests, despite the fact that the Jaguars were the home team and an exciting team in their own right. And before we leave, we need to say that this is one of the greatest recoveries in NFL history in a playoff game for a young QB. I mean, Trevor Lawrence may have completely changed his career and the trajectory of the Jaguars as an organization by making this comeback. You talked last week about how tight Doug Peterson seemed from a coaching perspective against the Titans. That seemed, again, very true in the first half. And maybe the Chargers more or less just let them up off the mat. Maybe if they keep playing, then he doesn't recover. But the fact of the matter is he did recover. And the offense that you saw from him, the variety of their weapons, the speed that they have on offense, Trevor Lawrence's ability to go down the field, this is just such a a huge franchise-defining game for the Jaguars. I think the Chargers will recover, and it's it's cool now to see what the Jaguars – can do they're going to be the team and the jaguars are going to be in the mix a lot because unlike the Bengals and the bills who really face just ferocious competition over the next five to ten years within their division things can change quickly but everything that we're seeing right now in terms of the coaching staffs and the quarterbacks in those two divisions you don't have that in the afc south And so the Jaguars are going to have this margin to build their own foundation and become this power team that makes the playoffs and that has this chance to advance in the playoffs for many years to come. Yeah, that would be fun to see. And and you you said it well, because Lawrence, the the storyline of this game was going to be Trevor Lawrence threw four first half interceptions and they never had a chance after that. And that, I mean, that, to, to in that same game be able to rewrite that narrative and you remember there's that the, also that punt that bounced off the the player's head that was a, a another turnover for the Jaguars they lose the turnover battle in this game 5-0 I think I saw that that was the only time in NFL history that a team has won a playoff game with a negative five turnover differential I would assume that's the case 
And Mike Martz may be the only head coach who's ever won a game. <laughs> One of the minus five just ever. Mike, Mike Martz oh. wanted it to be minus three in order to just like in, start the game. game. He's like, that's yeah. the yeah, yeah. That's the default. Yeah. That's that's funny. Um Sean, you want to talk about the well, any other games that you thought were really Cowboys look good. That was an interesting one. Tampa also just looked really bad. Yeah, it's just it's easy to forget just <laughs> when you see that game where Tom Brady wins the two million dollars, Mike Evans goes for 200 yards, they beat this rising Panthers team. And I but I think that the Panthers what the Panthers did down the stretch was really cool. And it, it was sad for me because their big game against the Lions wrecked what would have been this Cinderella just amazing narrative for Detroit. I mean, the Panthers had been playing pretty decent football. It's just easy to forget how bad the AFC South was. I mean, it's not just that you were eight and nine. Now, granted, you did tank the last game. It's not just that you were eight and nine, but the only reason that you could ever be eight and nine and make the playoffs is because the teams you're competing with are, I mean, they're basically glorified expansion teams. The Panthers, when the Panthers fire their head coach and continue to go down quarterbacks and they fight their way back into this, the Falcons may be the most talent deficient team in all of football outside of these guys they've drafted and not used Vic Fangio potentially going in there as the defensive coordinator he is a coaching stud should not have been fired from the Denver Broncos the previous year that made no sense to me what you want to do is not fire Fangio but make sure that you hire someone talented to run the offense as opposed to breaking down your entire organization you know and then you have the Saints, who were obviously at their best when they were just letting Taysom Hill do whatever. So, I mean, the Bucks were bad. I mentioned in the show last week, the Cowboys are bad. I still think that's true. The Bucks also bad, though. The Cowboys fun in this game. When Dak Prescott is on, he can be really on. Yeah. And I think that's why people freak out so much when he looks bad, because when he looks good, he can look really good. And then you do get some takes out of, like, he's you know one of the best QBs in the league, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, he is. He's one. I, there's not a ton of great QBs. I don't think he's ever been in the elite tier, but he's always been in that second tier. He's gonna have some warts too, but when he's on, he looks incredible. I mean, he's a absolutely a quarterback you want your team to have. Uh, he he looked great. He looked great. But they still project to get steamrolled by the 49ers. Then I thought the Giants looked fantastic. I think Daniel Jones has made himself, you know, a couple hundred million dollars over the last month. I think the Giants can go out and beat the Eagles. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more on Friday. But the other big story of the first weekend are some of these contests and the specific things that happened. You and I did a show on it. This was one of the most exciting weekends for me in the FFPC playoff contest because we hit on so many of the key pieces that we needed. There's always that little part of you that, almost hates it more when you're so close and don't quite get it. But that you, know, you just can't look at it that way, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough in the moment. I was very into the games this weekend. The emotions running hot throughout, which, again, that's why we do it. If you, if you can't get fired up and jump up and down and get off the couch when you're watching playoff football, then probably you should be doing a different hobby. But, Ben, the things that we talked about that we wanted to play were – TJ Hawkinson in a loss with Saquon Barkley. That hit. We wanted to play DK Metcalf as 
the highest scoring player who would be eliminated because that really helps your build and where you sit and who you have covered. You were all over that matchup using the tools at Rotoviz. So that was exciting. That part hit. We wanted Isaiah Hodgins in a loss where you have Justin Jefferson scoring a lot and continue to advance and score, but Hodgins would be your version of Metcalf in that particular game. And then we did want some Jaguars receiving weapons, both because of what they were going to need to do to beat the Chargers. And then if they advance their matchup then with the Chiefs and in a two and out story, those pieces could work really well. And people weren't going to want to pick between them. And so being willing to take the risk on and say, okay, well, we're going to pick. And and really the way we did it was play all of them across different lineups. But like they're 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 not going to be in as many teams. They're, you know, ETN's going to be in plenty of teams, and people aren't going to want to make those decisions. Similar with the Giants receivers, Hodgins, Richie James. There's some advantages there. And so we we liked the the Giants receivers, the Jaguars receivers as as these pivot plays. The frustrating part is that we did play some Keenan Allen coming back with those Jaguars receivers. So we lose some points there. That part is too bad. The other thing is we don't have quite the perfect combinations of those. I also want to throw a quick shout out to some of my other co-managers. Colin Kelly did a great job building some lineups with me. Connor O'Driscoll built a lineup that is both Hawkinson and Metcalf and it has some interesting contrarian pieces still going forward. He did a great job with that one. Bjorn Yang Barnett, who wrote our waiver wire articles, put together a Hawkinson Devonte Smith article uh, lineup that scored a huge number of points and obviously has Smith as a little bit of a contrarian take, mostly chalk otherwise, which is fantastic because they can now continue to rise. Probably that team is in 299th out of 16,000 in the $35 level version of the contest. Been so exciting. We do have some teams that are in the mix to finish very high. We didn't end up with the perfect pieces together, but the other note that I want to make here is that the perfect lineup would have been with the Chargers kicker fading the Chargers with those Jaguars and some of those other pieces. And as we discussed how we were going to build our seven lineups, and again, the seven lineups are are cool. We're excited about them. We think that they may rise and, and finish somewhat high. But you suggested as we were brainstorming, one of the possibilities was more or less the perfect lineup. We didn't play that one, but it was fun to put it together. And you were all over that as being a possibility. Just so cool. So cool. Yeah. I mean, whatever. You, you talk about a lot of options, but we do have some teams that are good. They're probably covered up. They can't can't win, um, but are basically, you know, a 2v2 away, which is the the old joke in, in DFS circles as well. Where, But it, the, the tough part about the 2v2 is we didn't play a lot of lineups. We just did a few, Sean, and, and we have that 2v2 on, you know, on other lineups. And so it's like you, you're you're very close on a very small subset of lineups. But it, it was a fun weekend for this contest in the sense of, a lot of stuff. I mean, there there's some stuff that was really useful to have, like DK Metcalf. Debo's another guy, but DK Metcalf was only in 3.8% of lineups. Debo was only in 3%. Hawkinson was, you know, per, he was higher than that, but pretty low. Uh, roster, the, the Jaguars players, a, a lot of these plays ended up being very lightly used, and so they were great options, but having that perfect combination was difficult. As you said, we were pretty close to it. That would have been, you know, pretty epic if we were able to land on it. It wouldn't not many people were playing a lot of those plays. But 
as a result of really no one landing on it, if you go and look through all the, the, the lineups and the teams near the top and even the teams that are further back and, and what they need, um, as a result of that, there's a lot of ways that this can still go. So it'll be a fun one to track over the next few weeks. Like I said, I don't think our best teams really have a shot. We have like a, a, a really outside shot with our Hodgins team if we get the right combination of like, I think it's a Hodgins, Devonta Smith, Christian Kirk thing that differentiates us. If, if all three of those guys go nuts, Sean and I will be telling you about it in a couple of weeks, but um, they really Hodgins and I, Kirk for 30 this week, 30 apiece. Wow. Hodgins and Kirk for 30 apiece. And, and we might be able to still have a shot at that 500 K, but yeah, fun, uh, fun content. And that's the thing is like that, that team with Hodgins doesn't even have, Metcalf, it 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 played um like you said, Hodgins in a loss was sort of the idea, and it had Jefferson in that team. It didn't have Hawkinson. And so you can have teams that are still live that don't even have the best pieces because it was that type of a contest this year. And so it's fun. There's a lot of ways, and we'll see. I mean, the rest of the way it could be really interesting. I do a lot of teams with the ship chasing guys, and over there we're rooting for um like Jerick McKinnon and Dallas Goddard and some of that stuff. Uh, on the teams that haven't even played yet, the Chiefs and the and the Eagles. And, I mean, that feels like it's not possible. It feels like it's probably going to be Travis Kelsey for the Chiefs and some of that stuff. But uh, it also felt that way going into last week for the Vikings, that it was very likely to be Justin Jefferson. And then it wound up not being Justin Jefferson that you would have needed in an optimal lineup for this contest. Uh, same with, like, Austin Eckler. You would have preferred, frankly, to have the kicker in the defense for the Chargers. So it's a fun contest, man. Uh, keep it in mind if you didn't do it this year and you thought about it and you're looking at next year. And then the other thing, Sean, we mentioned at the top is there is the round two contest. The round two contest, a little bit trickier because it's a smaller lineup, harder to kind of differentiate. It's a little bit of a smaller field too, but if you're not careful, you are likely to build teams that are going to be duped, as we would say. They're, other people are going to have the same team. And then even if you do run hot and win, you're splitting, you know, these. you're, you're really cutting into your potential winnings. What you'd like to do is build a team that is smartly contrarian, obviously. And so you're wanting to consider who might be played and, and how this would go. I, I think probably the, the chalky pieces, Barkley's probably going to be pretty chalky again for the Giants. McCaffrey probably again for the Niners. I do think Debo will be a little bit chalkier this time around after looking like the Debo of old getting used as a running back. He looked fantastic in that win. Um, you're probably going to have both Allen and Jalen Hurts, I think, as, as chalky quarterbacks. Diggs, Jamar Chase, Lamb, Travis Kelsey, those guys, you know, probably A.J. Brown again, but I, I, we talked a little bit before the show, Sean, and maybe the Eagles is a place where people look to pivot more. It's hard to pick. I mean, the Jaguars is the main one where, like, I think that's going to be pretty spread out, but it's hard to pick where you want to pivot, but probably you don't want to play all of those players I just named in one lineup because in all likelihood that's going to be duped and, and probably several times. There's going to be a lot of people, I think, that play that really chalky lineup throughout so it's do you want to get off barkley and go to hodgins again or even maybe like darius slayton you know go a little bit off the board um uh, do you want to go off the board with some of the other kansas city options you know juju was barely played in the big one mvs Kadarius tony there's various options there i mean i think pacheco will probably be played a little bit in this one uh mckinnon definitely i think as sort of the third highest played chief behind uh kelsey and mahomes do you want to pick a different path like a Joe Burrow team and say the Bengals are going to go all the way to the Super Bowl? You got to think a little bit contrarian, certainly. And especially in this one, you got to go even a little bit more contrarian. We just talked about how that really paid off in round one 
in the other contests when, you know, being willing to go contrarian with Metcalf and some of those other options, Hawkinson. So if you are playing the, the round two contest, that's my advice. Think through smart contrarian pivots. They still have to be able to outscore their teammates who are the guys that could be the highest scorers on those teams. Look at the Bills. I mean, Diggs is going to be pretty chalky. You could probably see Gabe Davis be the highest scoring Bill. In a, you know, you might want to play that as a loss because it's more likely to happen in one game than over multiple games. But in a loss, maybe uh, you're playing a Burrow, Gabe Davis type lineup, stuff like that. So um, want to be able to consider some pivots on some of these. You don't want to get too crazy. The, the best plays are sort of the best plays for a reason, and especially the ones that play multiple games, you're likely to see – you know, if the, if the Chiefs go to the play, uh, the Super Bowl, you're very likely to see Kelsey or Mahomes be the guy. And the reason for that, they're winning games. But, yeah, really fun contest. Always a fun one to sink your teeth into. It was a fun weekend for the contest for sure. Yeah, so if we can just get a similar week of football this weekend, we should because the matchups are fantastic. Ben, you broke down perfectly what listeners need to do to win that playoff two contest from a big picture perspective, that's also a great teaser for our second show later in the week where we'll get into some of the more of the details for these divisional round matchups. We'll get into some more details for how you can exploit or at least put together fun lineups for tournaments. I'm looking forward to that. Always so much fun discussing these with you. And just I, I can't wait for some more playoff football last week. Again, one of those best weeks in a long, long time. So the 2022 and now 2023 season shaping up, Ben and I will be back to talk more about it on Friday. Until then, this has been Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. It's a great time to sign up for Stealing Signals. It's a great time to sign up for Stealing Lines. We'd love to have all of you over at Rotoviz using the coupon code RVRADIO2023 for a 10% discount for a one-year subscription. Ben, they can help us out by dropping a rating and review, subscribing to the feed, leaving a comment over at YouTube. We appreciate all that you are doing for us on that. We love the Stephen Bananas community. We'll talk to you guys soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com